Officer down! I repeat, Officer down! Welcome back to 1033. This is your host, Nathan Kapler. A podcast created for a first responder by a first responder. If you are not a first responder, you still are welcome. This podcast is aimed directly at trauma and post-traumatic stress disorder. PTSD is complex and often misunderstood. Our brave men and women who serve our communities often end up with behavioral and psychological issues as a result of experienced trauma from their careers. My goal is to share what I know, my personal experience with PTSD as a retired police officer, and continue to advocate for mental health while providing support to those still in their careers. This podcast is not a substitute for professional medical help, and I strongly suggest if you are in fact suffering, you seek out professional medical advice. Please join me on this episode as I continue to expose the reality of PTSD challenges. I hope you enjoy this week's episode. Last week we left off with a part of my story where I had to confront a harasser and a bullier at work. Someone who, unbeknownst to himself, was suffering from mental health issues, post-traumatic stress, addiction, alcoholism. His behavioral traits at the time were incredibly toxic. He was a leader, but yet at the same time was narcissistic, a sociopath. And he was extremely good at imploring gaslighting techniques to control the team and people. I don't bring up this story again to paint a picture of the RCMP that they are a completely broken system. I do believe that a lot of harassment and bullying that may happen within the RCMP is directly related to the relationship that members have with their mental health. If we can move beyond the place of blaming someone else from a harasser-bullying standpoint and step back from that situation and look at it from the aspect of how does someone get to that point where they lack the compassion or the ability to connect and lead their team in a healthy fashion, you can start to see that that individual may be experiencing such an intense amount of personal pain, whether it's physical, emotional, spiritual, or mental, They are not balanced. They are not doing well. Because if they were doing well, they wouldn't be able to be that person in that role. I also hold an immense amount of respect for our service men and our service women, the ones that are doing well and the ones that are not doing well. I walked a mile in their shoes for 14 years. I know what it's like to suffer and to go to hard calls and to see extremely painful things through the eyes of a first responder. I know what that feels like. I've learned to have the utmost compassion for every single person, regardless of where they are into their own journey of their own pain. As I talk about pain, I also recognize too that it's very interwoven into PTSD. I do believe that pain and PTSD go well together. They are almost of the same cloth. If we relook at PTSD and what it is, it is simply the relationship between a human experiencing trauma. And what does trauma cause that human in that moment? Causes that human in that moment to experience some level of pain and suffering. We begin this journey in life as compassionate people, and when we are thrust into traumatic events... We experience that pain with others as they suffer. 
That is a very normal function to us being healthy and being compassionate people. I believe all police officers start off extremely compassionate with their hearts in the right places. But after years of service life, you get ground down and worn down by trauma, by PTSD, by these horrible experiences. And if you don't have the proper healthy outlets to deal with this amount of stress, it will and can build up into something much more sinister. And that is exactly what happened with my post-traumatic stress and my trauma and my stress. Following the event of dealing with this bully and him being removed and sent off to where he needed to go to get the help that he needed, I spoke briefly about my panic attacks, how they were starting now in 2016. They started off very, very minimal in nature. Now, following the fact that I finally realized in my journey that I had to confront this bully head on and make a complaint and get help, not only for myself, but himself as well, was an incredibly stressful moment in my journey. I was already in a weakened state to begin with. And in having to step forward to present this part, this experience that I was going through, had pushed me into a state of vulnerability I probably most likely wasn't ready for. Now in some of those earlier moments when I was stepping forward and going to the harassment unit, I didn't feel like I was getting the support that I needed. I now know that there's actually a term for this, this moment in time where we don't get support from an institution when we step forward, recognizing that we need to be vulnerable and talk about something that needs to be actioned. It's called sanctuary trauma. And it too can be incredibly damaging to an individual. But needless to say, as I continued to nudge this complaint forward, recognizing that in that moment that I had to find an avenue to push this somewhere so that it could be dealt with. The toll that this had taken on me was significant. And I wasn't fully aware of how big of a toll it had taken on me. As we enter into 2016 and then eventually 2017 when my daughter is born, my panic attacks now are raging. And over time, they're growing. And over time, they're having an impact to my mental health, my mental well-being. What we don't recognize in these moments is that when we're mentally not well, the body follows the mind. And now the body's not doing well. It's in a heightened state of fight or flight, constantly. Cyclical thoughts are churning through my mind 24-7. Even when I try to lay down at night to sleep, I'm hit with insomnia. The mind will not stop churning. The mind is under such incredible stress that it is actively engaged in assessing everything in the environment over and over and over in this state of loop to try and perceive, is there a threat? Where is it? What's going on? Why is the body in this state? What can we do to help protect it? So over that year, as we moved into 2017, where my daughter was born, I was maybe sleeping anywhere between 15 minutes to an hour a night. And this went on for a year. I was now in a state of sleep deprivation, trying to work, trying to get into paternity leave, to embrace this new point of getting away from work, to have a moment, a buffer, time to rest. At the same time, I was engaged with seeing a psychologist and making sure I was still talking about where I was at. The medication that I was on at the time, the antidepressant, had been bumped up to a point where it now was at its max. 
But despite that, the impacts, the psychological and the physiological impacts and the effects that I was now going through and the symptoms were so significant that the medication had almost become irrelevant. The pain that I was in from all of my experience over my entire policing career was significant. I was incredibly numb, depressed, anxious, was an insomniac, I was facing immense anxiety and panic attacks, and I could barely function on any given day. I also wasn't getting the rest at night in order to be able to be healthy for the following day, and something had to give. The emotional pain that you experience in those moments too when you're not well is also significant. The body was trying to tell me over and over and over again that something was not well, but I refused to listen to it. I didn't know how to interpret the emotional pain that I was going through in that moment. I didn't know how to let it out anymore. I had never been to this depth of pain before in my life. And how could one talk about that space if you've never been there? You don't hold knowledge about what it looks like, how to articulate what it looks like or feels like. So just before my daughter was born, I I recognized that I needed something more. I had done my research, and what had seemed like to me in that moment as a viable option was medical cannabis. At that time, we were in Canada starting to nudge closer to decriminalization and a different outlook on legislation towards cannabis. We were moving away from it being illegal, an illegal substance. And as Canadians, we were changing our viewpoint on this substance and what some of the benefits actually could be behind it. The studies were taking place, and there was significant amount of information around that time that was coming out suggesting that cannabis was a very good medication for post-traumatic stress. Now, I won't bore you with the details of the research that I had done around that time before stepping forward and seeing if this was something that could be done for myself. But when I had finally approached a doctor about this conversation, I received the doctor's full support for medical cannabis. My approach to medical cannabis was twofold. I had learned enough about CBD and THC and what the benefits of both were. I also can remember the first time I tried medical cannabis. And before I get into that experience, we need to paint a picture as to why medical cannabis may be something that is actually beneficial for post-traumatic stress. A part in our brain is called the amygdala. It is a crucial part to our fear response. It is also responsible for fight or flight. The evidence that we now have, the links between post-traumatic stress and the amygdala within, say, a first responder, someone who has PTSD, is very clear. At certain points, the amygdala can actually become enlarged and overactive in people that suffer from PTSD. They're constantly in a state of fight or flight. The amygdala is constantly engaged, assessing the outside environment from a fear response. Evidence now suggests that cannabis, when used, THC specifically, plays a crucial part and relationship with the amygdala that may be beneficial to reduce the amount of activity that may be occurring within the amygdala. The very first time that I used medical cannabis, I found peace. I found calm. I was no longer in a state of fight or flight. 
The mind for one moment had been given this opportunity to stop the cyclical thought patterns and to calm. My body now was also reacting. It too was calming down. The anxiety had come down. For for a moment, I actually thought to myself, my God, is this what it feels like to be normal? In that moment, I had felt and believed that I had truly found something that was going to help me. Help me regulate my post-traumatic stress. Help me deal with the symptoms. Allow me to sleep. I also had used it at nighttime too, and I had amazing sleeps, finally. In the beginning stages too, my tolerance levels to cannabis were very low. I didn't need much in the beginning at all. And the impacts were felt for quite some time. In the beginning of this, this pain management, this solution to post-traumatic stress and some of the things that I was struggling with, the symptoms behind the PTSD, I was convinced in that moment that this was my solution, that this would help. And it did. It absolutely did. In the beginning, I have no, no questions about it. It was a very healthy relationship. The unfortunate part to this story is that the potential for abuse is very high. We don't become addicted right out of the gate. It doesn't happen after the first use. The recipe is there, though. We are experiencing pain. We are experiencing something that we no longer desire. It's discomforting. We, as humans, do not like that place. We do not like discomfort. We enjoy comfort. We do not like pain. We like pleasure. And this is how addiction can start, from a place of pain. If you were going to ask me in that moment, after the first time that I had used medical cannabis and seen clear benefits to it, if I knew where this journey was going to go with medical cannabis, my answer would be no. I did not anticipate where this would take me. Now that I was off at home on parental leave, I was finding some success with a lower stress environment. I was also finding some success with medical cannabis. It wasn't something that I had used every single day. It wasn't anything that had any specific pattern at that time. It was mostly used in the beginning at the evening hour when I knew I was going to be laying down and I needed sleep. And the THC allowed me to do just that so that I could be rested for the next day so that I could function the next day. I had a very important job now in my life, and that was to be there for my daughter who had just been born. If you are a parent and you have run on fumes, you know the next morning, if you do not sleep, you are irritable, you are grumpy, you are angry. And that can lead to feelings of guilt and shame as a parent, because in those moments when you know you need to be there for your child, you can't. You're too tired. The cries become too much. The challenge in parenting is very real. I experienced many beautiful moments with my daughter in that moment when she was first born. But there's also another side to this picture as a parent. There are challenges that come from that space. Absolutely. I acknowledge that and I honor that. Being a parent is an incredibly difficult job. But now that I was getting the rest I needed at night, my functionality during the day was seeing massive improvements. I was beginning to experience positive emotions. My mood had stabilized. 
I felt like I was less stressed out. Like I wasn't in a state of fight or flight anymore and that I could find peace and calm through the day, even without cannabis. Cannabis at night had helped me to be able to sleep, to let the body rest and heal and get ready for that next day, the challenges that were within. Fast forward over that time of being at home, a stay-at-home dad on paternity leave, I returned to work in 2018. Walking back through those doors as a Mountie going back to work, I was filled with happiness. I was content. I was looking forward to going back to work. I had enjoyed the time off with my daughter. I had re-engaged myself emotionally. I actually felt emotionally balanced and stable. Mentally well, physically well. I had also made myself a priority over that year and worked out while my daughter slept and looked after myself, my physical health, which helped my mental health as well. Returning to work for me, I felt reinvigorated, re-engaged, and looking forward to reconnecting with the people that I had been a part of this journey with for so long. And doing the normal day-to-day duties as a police officer, I looked forward to it. When I first walked through those doors at Green Timbers, I had walked through and I didn't even notice any anxiety, which was beautiful. I thought, wow, perfect. The rest of my career is going to be great. When I did get back to work, I noticed a bunch of administrative issues, though, right away. My computer hadn't been used in almost a year, so it had essentially shut down and booted me out of it, and I no longer had an ID to that computer. I couldn't just log in and get back into the software programs that we needed to use as police officers. My work cell phone had disconnected from the RCMP server as well due to inactivity. As I came back to work and I tried to deal with my computer and my cell phone and re-engage it to the server so it could be used again, I ran into more roadblocks. Nobody really knew who to contact in order to get your cell phone reactivated. So I had made a bunch of different phone calls to a few different sections and tried to get some answers. And I actually never really got anywhere. I had reached out to all of the units that should know the answer to this and didn't receive the support to nudge this further. I became incredibly frustrated right out of the gate. Within a week, after trying to chase down how to get my cell phone reactivated, I could not believe that after I had spoken to all of these different people, that we could not identify one person who knew how to handle this problem. This wasn't something that necessarily fell on my shoulders. I wasn't an IT guy, I was a cop after all. I didn't have the slightest idea on how to fix this problem on my own. So as I reached out for help and didn't feel supported, I became incredibly frustrated with realizing that the RCMP many times over approaches these issues this way. Now, could that be a biased perspective on this situation, considering what I had been through? Absolutely. Could this have been a small trigger, unbeknownst to me? Absolutely. I had been through enough by that point, and I was getting very tired of not being supported at work. I ended up putting my cell phone down on my desk at that point, and I went to a supervisor and said, listen, I don't know who to talk to about this. I've asked for help. This isn't getting moved forward. And I'm done. I'm done chasing down a solution when a solution doesn't exist. My phone's on my desk. You can call me if you need anything on my personal phone. I'm done with this. Now, this was probably the first time in my career where I finally said no. Honestly said no. I am done. 
I am done with the bureaucracy. I am done with this broken system. I am done with the way things work internally. I am done. And despite this being just a cell phone, I believe this actually looking back now represented much more about an organization where I did not feel supported in. It was soon after that event that the panic attacks began. I couldn't believe that they had come back this quick. But they were there. All over again. After ten months of healing and being off and finding peace, they had come back in the matter of seven days. I tried my best to manage them, thinking that there should be no way that after having this much time off that they've come back this quick and they're this intense already. This doesn't even make sense. So I tried to do what I did best. I went home and I tried to decompress the best I could. And it became a balancing act of experiencing panic attacks while at work and going home and now trying to deal with them at home. I didn't have much time at work to deal with them. Being a police officer is a very busy role. I believed in that moment that I could actually be able to bring back some of the the healing that I had done over that time off and manage this on my own. I truly believe that. I didn't feel like I had to step forward and say anything, that I was again already suffering now back at work for a very short time. But the analogy of the frog in the pot of boiling water, I was right back in it. And the water now actually, a week in, most likely was already boiling. Despite the fact that I thought that the water may have been lukewarm or even cooler. The intensity of these panic attacks, when they first started out small, were small. But they came roaring back to the point that when I had last been working before my pat leave, they were now back at that point, that strength where my palms were sweating and I would be sitting down at my desk and I would be having these panic attacks where I would lose my peripheral vision and I would literally get tunnel vision in that moment. I would lose sensation in my hearing. I would have ringing in my ears. My body would turn up the furnace, so to speak, and I would become incredibly hot in a flash. At the same time that that was happening, it was almost like anger was being called up within. And it was now the only thing that existed within me. Every other emotion had been completely shoved out. My fight or flight responses were kicking in while sitting at a desk, looking at a computer screen. I was re-experiencing these same symptoms now, a year later after having had time off to heal. There would be no stimulus around me at certain points in my journey, and this fight or flight would kick off. I can't even pinpoint now at that point what had triggered it. It most likely was due to the fact that I was just simply in that environment, that same environment where I no longer felt safe or had been charged before in the past. In this workplace, this job had been just surrounded with traumatic event after traumatic event. Maybe that was the trigger. I'll never really know. My life at home had also diminished to the point when I would return home from work with a young child at home. I didn't have the energy to be happy and to play. Oftentimes I would find the couch, lay down, with exhaustion, and sleep for hours. 
I now give myself acceptance because I can now look back and recognize that through the day I was experiencing multiple fight or flight responses. My body was exhausted. No doubt I came home and crashed after work. Most nights I barely had any energy to get up to have dinner with my family. Following that, I would try to get myself into bed and sleep so that I could at least rest and be ready for the next day of work. Some nights I slept, some nights I didn't. My body was raising the flags everywhere it could, letting me know that things weren't well, letting me know that if I didn't do something about these issues, it was going to do it for me. And that is the truly amazing thing about our bodies. We may be able to run from our issues. We may be able to do it for a while. But eventually, our bodies will get to a point where it recognizes if you don't deal with what you are facing, your struggle, it will deal with it for you. We're going to wrap up the episode here. This is a perfect time to conclude this part of the chapter for me, my return to work. And again, this topic isn't meant to depress you. It's simply here to raise awareness on what we go through in life. I believe that many of us go through these hardships in life. And oftentimes we don't address them, we don't talk about them. We wear the struggle in silence. So I'm proud to be able to share my story with you. Thank you for your support. I hope you enjoyed this last episode. As we continue to grow, I would appreciate your support. Please consider subscribing to the podcast on your favorite streaming platform. Leave a comment or a review and share this with anyone that you may know may benefit from what we are discussing. Have a great week, and as always, thank you for tuning in.